Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. Of all the advice given to women, almost nothing is as oversimplified as the advice to just say no. I've expressed before how much I dislike language like, we do it to ourselves, it's our own fault. This is a really great example of what I mean when I say this podcast is where empathy meets pragmatism. I'm not knocking advice about creating boundaries or having a say in our own lives, controlling our own narrative. I'm totally on board with that. But we do need to consider with compassion and a true understanding of why saying no while difficult for many people, can be especially difficult for women. I just can't swallow this putting the blame on the shoulders of women themselves when it comes to taking on too much or being afraid to say no. It's oversimplified and made to sound like we can easily just say no when we need to acknowledge the agonizing process of saying no and the patterns that drive the discomfort, hesitation, guilt, and even fear that often comes with saying no, especially for women. I was listening to a podcast the other day that focuses on creating more balance in our lives. And the focus of this particular episode was women not being able to say no. And the two hosts talked about how busy women often are because of our need to look good or even perfect to others, to impress others, that we say yes so that people will see us in a certain way. That was kind of the crux of the messaging. And I'm not saying there isn't some truth to this, but I think it's a bit oversimplified and I don't think it's that compassionate and it doesn't consider enough of why women so often feel concerned with how they are perceived. It's not a personality difference between men and women, but often social norms which guide women's behavior and contribute to our hesitation to say no. And look, I just recently did an episode on not glorifying overwork, not glorifying the grind. But to suggest to women that if they would just stop having such high expectations of themselves and everyone else and just stop saying yes to everything, then they could have this more perfect Zen life that all would be in balance. And that's not entirely accurate either. And all you warriors listening have heard me say many times in previous episodes that this podcast is where empathy meets pragmatism. And nowhere is that more the case than with this topic. Saying no is difficult, especially for women, for a host of reasons we're going to talk about. We need to talk about the art of saying no, the practical steps, but also the agony of saying no so we can remove blame owning blame, carrying the weight on our shoulders of blame in favor of a compassionate approach to understanding why it is so challenging for us, the art and agony of no for women. So let's apply the four P's advancement model to better understand the problem and the patterns that lead to the problem so that we can consider the processes to address the problem. Why is it so complicated for women to say no? Well, part of it is how structures and societal expectations for women differ from those of men. Research shows that there are indisputable social costs for saying no, which are higher for women. 
There is a disproportionate fear for women to say no because there are disproportionate consequences for women when they say no. For working mothers, this can be even more magnified as we try to meet the demands of a workforce designed as a breadwinner homemaker model. Designed around women as caregiver and homemaker and men as breadwinner. And now with women working in almost equal numbers, but still having the unequal share of the home responsibilities, there can often be guilt that results from real shaming when we fall short on either front, the home or the work front. And again, with social media and the very public digital world we live in today, this is even more punctuated. One of my closest friends recently reached out to me, all stressed about running out of time when she was getting her daughter's birthday party ready for a particular cake that her daughter really wanted. And this woman is a warrior, entrepreneur, professor, artist, illustrator, who spends most of her free time when she isn't slaying all those dragons and crushing it professionally, driving her children to various sporting events and caring for their needs. And yet she's feeling the guilt of waiting too long to order the cake and now she can't get the cake. And, you know, where did her daughter even get the idea for the perfect cake? Instagram, right? So again, this kind of picture of what a good parent, a good mother looks like. And it's there and it's in the back of our mind. And before you say, well, that's on her. It's not really an emergency. So what if her daughter doesn't get the exact cake she wants? But the thing is, when we work and we have other obligations, we often feel the expectation not to let anything slip. If we let work slip for family as a woman, our commitment and competence will be questions. And if we let home slip, our commitment to family and even our priorities will be questioned. So there's all this gendered social cultural baggage women have to carry. And these are very real patterns of bias, social norms, and expectations that contribute to why we find saying no so challenging. Saying no comes with a lot of judgment and often consequences for women. Which brings us to the process part of the advancement model, addressing first the mindset piece. We need to think about how and why we feel the agony and guilt of no. And the mindset starts with acknowledging that it is not your fault you feel this way. It is your problem, though. It's a real problem when we can't say no, because then we're left feeling that burnout and stress. It's not your fault, but it is your problem. So with mindset, it's important to acknowledge why we're struggling, the stereotypes and societal norms for how women should behave, descriptive bias that describes what women are, nurturing, team players, helper. Saying no often runs against the grain of what is typically expected of women. And prescriptive bias is an issue as well because there are so many mixed messages, especially at work. The work advice that is often contradictory. Women at work here, be tough, but make sure you say yes. Say no, but be sure you're being sensitive. Be assertive, but don't be bossy. Ask for what you want, but don't be a nag. Know your worth, but don't be audacious or greedy in what you expect or ask for. Say no, but be seen as committed. Be powerful, but also be likable. Will they like me if I say no? See, we as women understand the concept of saying no, and we often want to say no, but the be nice, prove it again, show commitment programming is often so strong. And the research on this confirms this messaging is very prevalent and impactful and that our fear is real. 
when women turn down requests from their bosses, they are not only more likely to feel guilty, they are also more likely to face real backlash from their managers and leadership. The decision to say no will often lead leadership inserting stereotypical rationale as to why they believe you as a woman have said no. So there are these well-entrenched role expectations for women as it relates to service. Historically in the workforce, women have been expected to steadily hold the ladder for men to climb it. We are the nurturers. We are the sacrificers, the team players. And there's a real hangover from that mindset in terms of the types of projects women are often, even unconsciously or subconsciously offered versus men. The leadership opportunities are too often the housekeeping type of projects that are needed, but don't move the needle in terms of our success and advancement. So I work in academia where our committees and service projects are as plentiful as students. There's a lot of research that shows gender differences in how university faculty spend their work time. These are consequences of all of the things we're talking about here. Unsurprisingly, women faculty, the research shows, spend more time on campus service, student advising, teaching related activities, and men faculty spend more time on research. Guess which one is more likely to move the needle in terms of promotion? No surprise, it's the research. So this is the norm in many fields. Women taking on service, saying yes to things they are asked to do that don't move the needle because men are more often and more likely to be asked to do the things that do move the needle for them and provide the opportunities for them to put themselves in a position, a high profile position for promotion. So we have to interrupt that pattern. But it's not easy when often the people doling out the requests don't even see it. And I say this a lot. You can't clean your house if you don't see the dirt. And even though the research is clear, we still tend to see organizations and leadership thinking, yeah, but that's not how it is here. Well, guess what? That's exactly how it is here. It's very frustrating. So I've talked in previous episodes about prove it again bias. The prove it again pattern is a bias pattern where women must prove their competence, ability, and commitment over and over again, much more so than their male counterparts. So there's this feeling of what have you done for me lately? Like if you say no this one time, their perception of you will immediately change despite all the times you've said yes. I can tell you, I personally feel this every time I say no. I recently said no to a service project because I'm so buried with other professional projects. And when I politely declined offering my professional commitments as rationale, I got that dead silence back. Haven't heard a damn word about it. And it can feel like, oh, you're not going to do this for me? Then you're dead to me. And I know that's dramatic, but it's agonizing to say yes over and over and deliver over and over and be that person who delivers over and over. Then you say no once. And it's like leadership ghosts you. And even though you know you made the right decision, you feel the disappointment, the fear of being perceived as not enough. And the idea that maybe people are just going to dismiss you now because you said no, and you're not going to get that opportunity again. And so there's this fear of missing out. And this fear of missing out is a well-founded fear that if we say no ever, we won't get the opportunity again. And it's that scarcity 
versus abundance mindset. And although I advocate for an abundance versus a scarcity mindset, and I think that's really important, that doesn't mean that others have an abundance mindset. They often have a scarcity mindset. And so that fear that we won't get offered the chance again, if we say no, can be very real. I read a study recently asking powerful women CEOs how they felt about saying no. And one of the CEOs said, quote, you know why I never say no? Because I think of the consequence of someone else saying yes, someone else getting my piece of the pie. And there's that scarcity. And this is part of the tug of war bias that I've talked about, that perception uh, that is so often there at those top level roles of pay, prestige, and power that only one woman can make it. It's that result of tokenism. You know, if there's fewer opportunities for women, can we really afford to say no ever? So this is why it's hard to say no, because there's always in the back of our mind, this bias and this idea that if we say no, that's it. Somebody else is going to say yes. And now that one opportunity for you to advance or for a woman to advance has slipped through your fingers. And that's a lot of pressure. Finally, there's the issue that unfortunately, unfairly is that this is still very much a man's world and women who want success and advancement are expected to adapt. And women therefore still feel this and feel left out. And there's all of this fear that no, even just one no, will continue to make them feel left out. That this is what will be pointed to when promotion and advancement decisions are being made. I felt it. I feel like if I say no, when those better, less housekeeping type opportunities come up, those more prestigious advancement opportunities, opportunities for promotion, opportunities to really be on the big stage with the high profile projects that they won't be offered to me because they'll point to that one no as evidence of my lack of desire and commitment. So clearly all this is going on. It's nowhere near as simple as you do it to yourself because you want everyone to think you're awesome or perfect. That's just not it. That is just not fair. It does not serve us. And it is not a compassionate way to look at the issues that we are facing as women. So let's talk pragmatically, though. We're going to move to toolset, what to do, how to handle it. And I want to be clear, by no means am I going to contribute to the oversimplification of all these real biases, fallacies, and barriers with some five-point Google search, learn to say no, oversimplified plan. But here are some tools that can help from a perspective and an execution point when these opportunities, as they are often called, come to the forefront. I see a lot of social media posts and articles in the media that say things like, learn to say no without offering an excuse. You are not obligated to make an excuse. I'm sure you've seen this, no is a complete sentence. And although in theory, I agree that we should be able to say no without explanation or defending the choice, as men so often do, I'm not convinced that given the biases we've talked about, that this is a strategy that will serve women. It is so important for women to own our own narrative. And I'm not advocating for over-explaining or justifying, but rather I'm advocating for ensuring that you, not others, own your narrative. So in that recent example I gave where I recently was asked to serve on a committee by a high-level leader and I had to say no right? So I have children and a child with special needs who I, of course, have to prioritize. 
However, people will too often point to that as an excuse to exclude me or ask me to lead or immediately go to this tried and true narrative, which is terrible for women. This easy kind of, oh, here it is again. Women can't step up because of their kids and their family and their home obligations. And I just can't have that when I'm doing so much professionally. And we don't need to point to those things because they don't serve us. So when I said no, I used words that reinforced my leadership and expertise, but also reasons that outlined my professional achievement-driven projects, a large sabbatical project I'm working on, finalizing and submitting a manuscript from research I've done, preparing to present at an international conference. I cited these as the reason, and I felt it was critical to provide these reasons as explanation, in part to ensure that when people asked, hey, didn't you ask? Dr. Simone to serve on this, what happened? That they don't just say, she said, no, you know, she's got a lot going on with her family. It's not the right time for her because that does not serve me. And I don't want somebody else providing their insight and their narrative on why I've made the choices I've made. And if it is true and you are saying no because of family, I'm not asking you to deny your priorities. Please don't take it to mean that. If I was saying no because I was pulling myself out of the game completely for family because I needed to, that would be different. But why should those home things be the reason and not all the professional work commitments and things that I'm doing and working on? Which narrative serves me better? Which narrative serves women better? That's important. You shape the narrative not the biases, fallacies, assumptions, and social norms and societal norms that people want to use to shape the narrative. You shape your narrative. Next, be very mindful of your decision-making process. We need to focus on the actual work aligned with the project, not the perceived accolades, titles, resume building outcomes, those bullet points that are going to be on your resume because you've taken on this additional project. This is important because it's about how you will feel as you're doing all of this work if you say yes. And this is challenging because often all the words that are used when asking you to take on the big unpaid service project are ego boosting and that's strategic. You know the language. You're being selected for your unique skills, talent, and expertise because you get things done. You have the needed and necessary leadership qualities. And we focus on that, all that puffery and ego-driven language that's designed to impact our decision-making, how we will be perceived. And we don't focus enough on the actual work that we would have to do if we say yes. So in the example I gave where I recently had to say no, there was a lot of language of we've been identifying leaders in the organization to help with this important project. And really what the case was that most of the actual work I would be doing would be collecting data, paper shuffling, and writing up reports. And when I considered that work, not the words, the work, and I considered all the projects on my plate and all the opportunities I have for projects and ideas I have for projects, all of them sounded more exciting, interesting, and motivating than writing a report sounded. And if I'm being truthful, more aligned with my bigger advancement goals, with my professional priorities, the things that move the needle for me and the things that move the needle for advancement for women. And so we always need to ask ourselves the difficult questions when we make these choices. Whenever I coach a client who's feeling overwhelmed or really struggling with time management and taking on too many projects, I ask a most basic question. And this is the critical question that I advise you ask and really think about. 
What do you or will you have to say no to if you say yes to this? You can't just focus on the yes. You have to think about the things you'd have to say no to. So this speaks to having that set of goals, that advancement plan in mind as these choices emerge. How does this request align with your top goals? What are the benefits and consequences of saying yes to this? If the benefit of saying yes moves you in the right direction of your goals, that's great. But if saying yes doesn't bring you any closer to the big picture goals, then it's likely going to take time away from the types of projects that would help get you closer to your goals. Next, be careful of what I call the passion trap. This one is a big challenge for me. When the work is presented as something aligned with my passion, I really have to fight the immediate urge to just say yes, even if it's work I would like. I still have to weigh it against what I have to let go of or say no to if I choose it. We need to be mindful. We need to take a breath, stop, and think about how others will sometimes exploit or leverage our passions to get us to do more unpaid work. Unpaid work that often will be underappreciated and underrecognized and will not help us advance or move us towards our advancement goals. To that end, I strongly recommend creating boundaries around free work. No matter how important the work or how aligned with your values, passions, life's work it is, because volunteer requests like this are often packaged in language that is complimentary, inspiring, motivating. It may actually be an awesome project, actually. It's positioned as the highest compliment that you have been asked or thought of. So saying no can be really tough. This is where boundaries come in. If you create quantitative boundaries, they can protect you. Let's say, for example, you commit to only taking on three non-paid service projects per year. It forces you to think about what you're saying yes to. This is important in shifting your mindset from saying yes or no based on how busy you are at the moment versus taking on non-paid projects that are most aligned with your goals. So if you're not as busy and someone asks you to work on a non-paid project that is really ranked on the lower side of your passion or goals versus what you like to work on and where you bring the most value, you might be inclined to say yes. And this is one of the biggest mistakes we make, making the decision because we happen at that moment to not have a lot on our plate. So we say yes to the moderately interesting, somewhat aligned with our passion and interest unpaid project because it feels like we can do this at the moment. But then what happens? Of course, because you're freaking awesome, because you're a warrior, because you're a badass who always gets it done and gets it done well, you know that more requests are on the horizon. Then when you filled your not as busy time with mediocre projects, the fabulous projects where you bring real value, where you're so excited and you're going to want to say yes, come. Because these are the ones you actually want to do that bring your unique value, expertise, and excitement that fulfill you. But now if you say yes, you have this project along with the three other projects you're bogged down with. So then what happens? What emerges? Yep. Resentment, frustration, anger, despair, dread for the work associated with those other projects, let's nip that shit in the bud with a plan and with some boundaries. Those boundaries can be so crucial. And it's very fair. Your time, your life is yours. And it is very fair to create boundaries that help you and serve you. 
So what do you say when you're asked to do more free work? And to be sure, the more free work you do, the more free work you're going to be asked to do. And I know many of you are probably in that cycle right now. If it's truly important and you are so important in the project, in the ask, it's okay to ask if there's an opportunity for you to be paid or for you to be given something of value in return, time off, reduction in your other work. You get the idea. If not, it's okay to say no. And you don't need or want to over-apologize. And I've talked about this in other episodes. Over-apologizing does not serve women. Time management and work prioritization are not something we need to or should apologize for. Also challenging is when you finally get to a place where you're comfortable to say no and you say no and the other person doesn't accept the no. For this, I would say beware of the it's just one small thing, or it's really not that much work or time, that hidden language that sucks you in. Look out for that language. Be careful. It's like when you're looking for an apartment and you read the word cozy and you think, oh, cozy, that sounds nice. But then you take a breath and you remember that cozy is code for small. We need to think about that and get our secret decoder ring out when we look at the projects and the ways they are being positioned and presented to us. Too often we buy this, it's not too much work. It won't be too time-consuming, and we say yes too fast, when a better response is a series of clarification questions, like how many times will we meet, how often, for how long, and one of my personal favorites, when does it end? Have you ever gotten on a committee and found yourself on the committee like three years later, and you're thinking, wow, this is like the Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. And you're wondering, so is this free work something that's now a part of my job or my life forever? It is not only fair to ask, it is highly advisable, and it shows professional acumen to ask the terms of the commitment. And if they can't answer, you're probably getting involved in a perpetual free work project, and saying no is probably advisable. And finally, forget phrases like, I'll think about it and get back to you. If you're feeling trepidation about saying yes, trust your gut. Phrases like, I'll get back to you, or let me think about it. Too often give the person asking an opening to come back to you with more guilt and making it more difficult for you to say no. So each week I end with a manifest statement, a practical key takeaway. And with this week's manifest statement, I want to build on the importance of understanding the game in terms of why it is hard for us as women to say no and the ways in which our fears and our passions are leveraged to get us to commit to as much free work as possible and how to make better choices that serve us. So my manifest statement this week is this, when you consider work, free work, service, giving of your time, talent, and expertise, if it's not a hell yes then it probably should be a hell no. Make room for the hell yes opportunities that the universe is working on sending you. For all you warriors listening who want to continue to transcend barriers and thrive, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so make sure to hit that subscribe button. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com and connect on Instagram at advancingwomenpodcast. I love getting your feedback and ideas on topics you'd like to hear me cover in more depth or new topics you'd like me to explore. So please email me at drdsimone at advancingwomenpodcast.com with your ideas and feedback. That's D-R-D-E-S-I-M-O-N-E at advancingwomenpodcast.com.
I just want to thank my producer, Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior who wrote the music for this podcast. It's totally badass and I love it. And a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior who designed the Advancing Women podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.